This is Grain IQ. I'm Chad Moyer. Grain marketing is a critical piece in keeping your operation profitable. Every grain producer has a different personality, different preferences, and different tendencies which impact the ways in which they think about grain marketing. On this episode of Grain IQ, we will explore two main types of grain marketers, pre-harvest marketers and post-harvest marketers. Joining us today is Ed Usset. For over 20 years, Ed has been a marketing economist for the Center for Farm Financial Management at the University of Minnesota. Prior to that, Ed worked in private industry, traded in the pit to the Minneapolis Grain Exchange, and was a wheat buyer for flour mills. He also has wrote a book called Grain Marketing is Simple, It's Just Not Easy. Ed, thanks for joining us here today on Grain IQ. Let's begin our conversation with your idea of the types of grain marketers. Yes. Uh, hard to characterize them. I, I don't get into personality profiles and so on. My own approach has to do a couple of things about marketing. First of all, when I think about marketing styles and approaches, I divide the world into pre-harvest marketing activities and post-harvest marketing activities. Now, pre-harvest, I'm talking about here you know, in uh, February of 2022, pre-harvest is looking ahead to pricing your 2022 crop. Post-harvest marketing is all about storage and thinking about the crop you harvested last fall and still sits in the bin. Now, I do that for a reason, not because one is more important than the other. They're both important, but by dividing them, uh, I can explore some marketing styles before and after harvest. We can see what works better. Ed's book is called Grain Marketing is Simple, It's Just Not Easy. It dives into these types of marketers. Let's talk about that marketing style, the style of, of a person who feels uncomfortable about marketing grain until they actually have the physical commodity, either in their own bins on their farm, or if they uh, would haul it to town, then they use utilize commercial storage. There's kind of a set of traits that go with that grain marketer, right, Ed? Yeah, I talk about eliminating mistakes in marketing. And one of the common mistakes I've identified over the years is this producer's reluctance towards pre-harvest pricing. In other words, there are some people still today, Chad, that they look ahead to 2022 and they think I'm bonkers. You know, what, do you want, what do you mean price next year's crop? I haven't even put it in the ground yet, let alone seen a rainfall. I don't know what I'm going to have. And my response to that is twofold. First of all, there's this thing called crop insurance, uh, revenue-based crop insurance. It's good stuff. A vast majority of producers buy crop insurance. And the only question I have is for that small percentage who don't, I want to ask, why don't you? <laughs> I don't understand it. Uh, but I've also shown with a couple of different of my imaginary friends who are grain marketers, there's value in pre-harvest marketing. Uh, some of your best opportunities can come before harvest. In your book, Ed, you've put together a number of character farmers who have different personality traits, which impact how they go about marketing grain. Let's start on the pre-harvest side, which are the people who like to look ahead and market their grain in advance. Tell us about these characters. 
I have too many make-believe characters, Chad. They're going to haul me away if I make up any more. But the two I want to introduce your listeners to before Harvest, one is Justin Price. And Justin Price sets price objectives uh, based at starting with his cost of production. So it figures out, okay, what's it going to cost me to produce a bushel of corn in the year ahead? And uh, he starts, he sets some price objectives starting there and scaling up to higher levels. And that's all he thinks about. You, you meet his price, he'll price that new crop grain. No other aspect enters into his thinking. Contrast that with Terry Timer. Now, Terry Timer is a pre-harvest marketer who's all about the timing. She will not price, just like Justin, they share this cost of production, uh, you know, starting point. But Terry is all about getting it done in the spring of the year, March, April, May, and June. She's going to make four sales, 20% per sale. And yes, that's 80% total. That's her crop insurance level, the remaining 20% would be priced at harvest, but you've got a timing-driven marketer and a pricing-driven marketer. I've got over 30 years of data, real data, using average Iowa prices, and uh, Terry is the better performer. Justin, setting prices alone. You know, here's the problem. Here is the challenge with a marketing plan or approach that is just based on prices. I go back a number of years now, back when $2 corn was the rule, the good old days. And I remember talking about my marketing plan, pre-harvest marketing plan. It's not the perfect plan. I admit that. But I'm talking about pre-harvest marketing plan, and I think it's pretty straightforward, and it all fits on one page. And I've got a farmer in the back of the room, raises his hand, and he says, you know what? I've got a marketing plan, and it's much simpler than yours. I said, okay, well, what's your plan? He says, now remember, this is a time when $2 corn rule. He says, you show me $3, and I'll sell my corn. That's a simple plan, isn't it? His spouse is sitting next to him, gives him an elbow, and pipes up and says, and that's why we have three years' worth of corn on our farm. You know, if you're just price driven, you have this this challenge of, well, what if your price is 50 cents higher than the market ever gets to? It's not a plan to do anything. It's an excuse to do nothing. You might have listeners out there today who are saying, you show me $6 corn and you didn't have it all. Well, yeah, we're not quite the $6, are we? And we may not get there. So price-driven alone, like Justin Price, has its issues. Terry Timer does better with the spring sales. Uh, I can show you that over the last 30 years, she's done 20 cents better than the harvest price. On average, does she do better every year? Of course not. But she, more often than not, she beats the harvest price. 
let's talk about some of the tools that Terry Timer would utilize. How would she go about doing her grain marketing with a time focus in the spring, uh, March, April, May, June? What tools does she use to get her grain marketed? Well, there are three tools she can use. Now, in my make-believe world, I have her use futures markets directly through a broker and, and use the actual basis at harvest. Some producers, a lot of producers are like, you know, I'm not going to sell futures directly. Well, that's fine. Uh, many elevators offer hedge to arrive contracts, which are similar to futures, but you're, you don't have to have a brokerage account and so on. Still, every elevator that I'm aware of is going to offer a simple forward contract. And that forward contract can be a good thing too. Now, here's where I will challenge producers. You got to know your basis. We'll learn more about basis in a future episode, but for now, know that basis is the difference between the futures price and the cash price. Cash minus futures equals basis. Okay, you got to have an expectation about what a, a good basis and a bad basis is. Because the challenge with the forward contract is that sometimes you're locking in a basis that's less than great. If you sell futures directly, you've got a little more control over that basis side of things. Come harvest, you might go to the elevator, you might go to the ethanol plant down the road, maybe there's a dairy 30 miles the other way. You're sort of a free agent on the basis. Uh, and that, you know, producers might use that to find an extra 5, 10, 15 cents a bushel. But having said that, there's nothing wrong with a simple forward contract uh, as long as you're comfortable with the basis you're locking in. So Justin Price, would he just do a cash sale or would he take a futures position? He uh, would take a futures position too. Yep. Yep, but he could do forward pricing. I mean, there's there's nothing. I've just that's the approach I've chosen. But certainly he could do forward pricing. The challenge for me, uh, using real data, I've got real data on futures. Uh, I don't have real data on what a forward contract price would be available to tear. You know, because my my characters are real, Chad. They're not real. Yeah. <laughs> So we've kind of talked about the folks that uh, are pre-harvest marketers. Let's talk about that other group of marketers that you mentioned before, the characters who will choose to market their grain after they physically have it. And uh, there's a character who will start basically right at harvest time, right? Uh, sell off the combine after harvest. Yes, I do have a character, Barney Binless. He's a very important guy in my world. Barney does not do any pre-harvest marketing, and he has no storage. So he simply sells off the combine, and he represents the harvest price. Barney is my benchmark for comparing uh, other marketing styles, too. Um, the two post-harvest marketers, I'd like to, and by the way, post-harvest marketing, I think it's a pretty simple set of choices you have to make. You know, the producer, you've got three basic choices. I'm just going to sell it off the combine, take it into town straight from the field. I'm going to put it into storage. And by the way, uh, on the farm that a lot of people have on farm storage now, the third choice, and by the way, that second choice, put it in the bin and wait, that's probably your most popular one. 
Your third choice is to store it and sell the carry. That is sell a premium price for delivery with a forward contract or a futures contract out into the following year, maybe for delivery in April, May, and June of the following year. Those are your three choices. So uh, Barney Binless, how does he do, you know, in a given set of years, 10 years or, or 20 years? Does he seem to make it? You know, Barney Binless, it's not a man. To me, his role is not to tell me how good or bad he does. I have a number on him mm-hmm. for corn and soybeans. He's my benchmark. Mm-hmm. If, I'm, For example, if I'm going to suggest Terry Timer and her time sales before harvest, how do I know she's doing good? Compared to who? I compare to Barney and the harvest price. Now, after harvest, a producer I have who stores and sells grain in the spring is named May Sellers. And May Sellers harvests her corn and soybeans, puts it into storage on the farm, and she sells it in the last week of May. Hence her name, May Sellers. By the way, I've done further research. And if I wanted to get her the highest price, I would have named her June Sellers. I guess the actual average high price comes in the first half of June. Nevertheless, you get the idea. And if I want to know how does May Sellers do, and I've analyzed her, by the way, she can only store 80% of her crop. 20% is sold at Barney's Harvest Price. I'm just trying to keep her real. Mm -hmm. I also charge her uh, interest costs, variable costs, interest on her money and shrink. May Sellers, over the last 30 years, again, she doesn't do well every year. But on average, she does very well relative to Barney, somewhere like 20 to 40 cents a bushel better in corn and soybeans on average. Well, what about this character that you've developed called Hank Holder? Who, what does he do? Hank, uh, Hank might be the most memorable character I have. I, I can't tell you the number of times I've had someone come up to me after a talk and say, that Hank, that Hank, I think that's my dad. I think that's my neighbor. And the greatest uh, admission I've had is someone who says, I think that's me. <laughs> Hank Holder does exactly what May Sellers does. He harvests his grain. He's got room to store 80% of it. He puts it all in the bin and he waits. He's waiting for a higher price, as many of your listeners are right now. Hank's problem is he's uh, ever bullish, always bullish. He's always concerned that the market's is going 25 cents higher. So May sell his neighbor May is selling in the spring of the year, May, June, getting out of it, emptying the bins. Hank is waiting for 25 cents more. And he waits all the way until the week before harvest. And then he has to sell, Chad, because he only has enough room for one crop. Basically, Hank gets the following year harvest price, less a year's worth of these variable storage costs. As good as May Sellers does, Hank does not do well. Uh, You compare May and Hank, and May will beat Hank. Remember, there are two people doing the same thing. The only difference is May sells her grain 
at the end of May, Hank waits another 18 or 19 weeks to sell her corn and soybeans. There's like a 40 cent difference between them in corn. May is beating Hank by 40 cents a bushel on average over 30 years. Does May beat Hank every year? No, no, that's the hard part of grain marketing. Nothing's 100%, nothing works every year. But 40 cents a bushel is a big average difference. Yeah. It's 90 cents a bushel in soybeans. That's the difference. Now, it, even as I say this, uh, I'm thinking of, you know, my characters also exist in the world of hard red spring wheat, which is not a big thing in Nebraska, but it is in the Dakotas. And I can tell you that last year they had a drought in North Dakota and Hank Holder beat May by two and a half or three dollars a bushel. He had an incredible year. And uh, I've got 30 years of data, too. And if Hank would just have four or five more years like that in a row, he'd catch up to May and her performance over the last 30 years. That's how powerful it is. One other character we want to talk about, Peter Paper Farmer. What does he do? Uh, what is his personality like? Well, Peter is uh, both a pre- and a post-harvest marketer. And uh, pre-harvest marketing, he does exactly what Terry does, getting sales done in the March to June period if prices are above that sort of cost of production. But as soon as he makes the sale, he reowns with call options on the new crop futures. This is, I'm trying to address this idea that options are the solution to all your marketing problems. And I, I struggle with that. Options should be a part of your toolbox, if you will. They, they should be used now and again. But Peter really doesn't, uh, particularly in corn and wheat, doesn't have a very good record. Uh, he may sleep better in those drought years. And uh, there's value to that. I will admit there's value to that. But over the long run, Peter is paying a price for those options. You know, options are, we compare them to insurance. Chad, you and I, all your listeners, we all have auto insurance. And I like to ask people, uh, how many of you expect to make money on your auto insurance over the next 10 years? And in the course People shake their head and like, well, I don't think it works that way, Ed. And I'm like, that's right. Options are like insurance. And if you're going to use them all the time, yeah, there'll be an accident now and again, and you get a big payoff. But if you're always using them, they're going to cost you money. We've uh, kind of examined the different personalities that are out there in grain marketing. Can you give us, uh, you know, over time, again, and I think farming is a long-term game, right? It's 30 years. It might be 30 individual years where nothing, you know, it doesn't happen the same in two or three, or maybe it only happens the same time three out of those 30 years. But when you look at it over time, who seems to be most effective? Who seems to um, have the most profitability and uh, able to keep the farm moving forward, do you think? Well, uh, I've mentioned two of them, Terry Timer. And by the way, there's something in common here between Terry Timer and her pre-harvest activities, May sellers and her post-harvest activities. And what they have in common is 
spring tends to be a good time to get some pricing done. Uh, April, May, June, that seems to be a good time to get something done. Not every year, Chad. We only have to go back to 2020 when the spring was an awful time to get something done. But over time, if you were to copy Terry getting things done pre-harvest in the spring, March, April, May, June, and post-harvest, as I speak right now, Chad, a lot of your listeners have grain in the bin from last year. They're May sellers, right? Only we don't know if they're May sellers or Hank Holder. They haven't sold yet. And what I'll tell people is after harvest, my friend May Sellers has an exit plan. At the end of May, she'll sell that grain. So I'm going to ask your producers who have grain in the bin. I mean, good grief, the market's up a dollar a bushel, isn't it, from harvest or more? What's your exit plan? What number are you waiting for? You know, but to recap, if you're Terry Timer before harvest, focused on that springtime to get something done, or and May sellers after harvest, you're going to put it in the bin unpriced. That's that's risky. There May has some bad years in her portfolio, but over time it has paid off. You put those two together, you're a powerful marketer. All right, very good. Ed, it's good to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Appreciate it very much. Thank you. That was Ed Usset, Grain Marketing Economist for the Center for Farm Financial Management at the University of Minnesota. I'm Chad Moyer, and this is Grain IQ. Grain IQ is a production of the Nebraska Rural Radio Association with support from the Nebraska Soybean Board. It is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. Grain IQ is hosted by Chad Moyer and produced by Rebel Seklocha. It is written and edited by Alex Wojcicki. Our project manager is Bryce Duskett. You can listen to Grain IQ on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or online at ruralradionetwork.com.